Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Business Creators Radio Show. My name is Adam Homey. I'm your host, and I'm so glad that you made the decision to join us today. If you are a business creator, you are in the right place because the name says our listeners are business creators. And they fall into one of several different categories. We have entrepreneurs, small business owners, and local business owners. We have marketing and business coaches. We have folks who help others build their businesses, designers, strategists, assistants, online business managers, anybody who helps others with their marketing and their business growth. And of course, we have the do-it-yourselfers who love to keep your own hands on the marketing levers and run your own businesses. If you are one or more of the above, Please take a moment, explore episodes, and discover how our experts can help you win at the game of business and marketing at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. Also, check us out on iTunes. Just do a search for Business Creators Radio Show. Make sure to subscribe. Every five-star rating is greatly appreciated and helps us help more business creators just like you. Now, listeners of the Business Creators Radio Show have told me that one of their favorite topics is anything having to do with how you get more customers, how you get more leads, how you close more people over the telephone, how you increase your website conversions, anything that leads that visitor to become a prospect, to become a customer. So we love having topics like this on our show. And it's for this reason that I was very excited and very honored when we were able to persuade Deb Calvert, the queen of questions, to join us on Business Creators Radio Show. Now, just to tell you a little bit about Deb, she's the author of the Discover Questions book series. She founded People First Productivity Solutions in 2006 to help businesses build organizational strength by putting people first. The PPFS, which is putting putting people people first, um, is to boost company productivity through people development, and this includes sales training, coaching, and consulting. It also includes leadership program design and facilitation, strategic planning with senior managers, team effectiveness work, and executive coaching. Deb has worked and trained for and been featured as a keynote speaker in a wide variety of industries, and she has particular expertise in the produce, agriculture, and media industries. Deb has worked with private and public companies of all sizes and helped family-owned businesses and startups survive and thrive in the tough economic climate. Now, prior to starting her company, just to give you a little bit of background, Deb worked in senior-level sales, operations, and human resources role for a Fortune 500 company. Her unique mix of experience enables her to understand the challenges faced by entrepreneurs and business creators just like you. Due to her extensive research on how asking purposeful questions improves interpersonal and professional connections, Deb has been called the queen of questions. Deb, how are you doing today? I'm good. Adam, I'm so excited to be here with you. Thank you. Oh, yes, yes. I love these episodes, and as our listeners know, not only am I the host, but I'm also a student just like everybody else. I'll be asking the questions, but I'm also going to be sitting here with my own pad and pencil looking for the aha moments that I can take to apply to my own business as well. So we all have the opportunity to learn from each other. Now, before we get into all this learning, before we dive in, let's take a quick step back and give those of our listeners who may not have heard of you yet or may not have had a chance to really find out who Deb Calvert is, a chance to get to know you a little. I just read off your bio statement, but just tell us a little bit about your background and what it really was that brought you to where you are today. Just tell us in your own words. 
Uh, okay, well, I'll go a little further back than you did. Um, I have been selling something pretty much every day of my life since I was about five years old. We had this giant garden, and my dad would send me out with my little red wagon. I'd go door-to-door selling cucumbers and green peppers, tomatoes, for five cents apiece. And um, I loved it. I thought it was great fun. (laughs) Got a little bit older, became a campfire girl, and we sold candy, had a big campaign every year. And I loved selling candy because whoever sold the most got all kinds of accolades and awards. And for every certain number of boxes that you sold, you got a free campership to go to one of my favorite places to this day on earth, uh, Camp Shawnee in in Missouri. And so I I loved the incentives around selling, but even more than that, I loved that, that moment of connection with other people. So I've had this long career in sales. I've I've continued to be successful and, and to win awards and eventually started my own company and have been helping other people through coaching and training to enjoy those same kinds of successes, which at the heart is all about making connections with people. And Adam, I'll, I'll share with you just a couple of days ago, um, I got to be named to a, a list. Inside View puts out a list every year, and um, they put me on their list of the top 25 sales influencers for 2014. So it's it's really fun for me to be able to do something that I love and to do it the way that I believe is truly the best way, the most gratifying way, which is about forming connections and yet to to have that um, that esteem and, and that recognition that says, hey, and you're you're making things happen. You're making a difference doing it that way. I think that's fantastic. And just to your first point there, I remember when I was very young, I used to love helping my grandfather with his garage sale. He had some stuff in his garage that he would sell, and it wasn't a garage sale in the traditional sense where you'd put an announcement in the paper and it would be Saturday from 9 a.m. to noon or whenever they unloaded the stuff, whichever came first. This thing was pretty much always open. So whenever he was home, he'd leave his garage door open. Anybody that wanted to come up and look around could drive up and he'd show him the stuff and he'd sell some of it. Well, I loved helping him with the garage sale, and I was uh, organizing the shelves and putting price tags on everything, and I just got real excited about the idea of commerce very early on. That should have been a clue, and it took me 20 years to circle back around to entrepreneurship, but I get exactly what you mean. Now, here in the Business Creators Radio Show, we provide the tools, the techniques, and the strategies to help entrepreneurs quickly grow their businesses. And this next question is one I like to ask all of our guests, not only because of the variety of answers we get, but also because of the variety of interpretations of the question itself. See, a lot of our listeners tell me they have pretty much everything they need to implement anything that anybody on Business Creators Radio Show shares with them, except for time and money. And this is a question we ask, as I said, every expert who appears. And so tell me, Deb, how does this apply to the concept you're about to share with us? Well, okay, let me expand it by one piece, because I talk to a lot of people in all those fields that that you uh, have described, and they don't have the time, they don't have the money, and they don't have the desire to sell, because there's some sort of negative, stereotypical thing attached to selling. So I'd like to answer that with all three pieces. Okay. I'd say it like this. Um, Saving time and money, I agree. I'm a business owner, too. I I think that that boils down to being more efficient and more effective in every single thing that you do. And one of the best ways to be more efficient and more effective is to be more influential, hence the selling piece by by another name, but but done right. 
Now, here's where things get interesting because what I teach people to do with questions is to have deeper level conversations and to form connections. And those two things feel like they're at odds. It, it, It doesn't feel right at first glance to think about being efficient in fact, you might think being efficient would, would damage your connection with someone. It might erode the ability that you have to, to form a, a real bond. So how do we remain efficient, effective, and influential, and how do we do that even as we're developing relationships with people? And it all boils down to purposeful questions. So this concept that I'm about to share around purposeful questions and, and how it can help you in business, it is absolutely about the efficiency and the effectiveness, i.e., the saving time and money. Right. That's fantastic. And see, here's another example of different interpretations. You take another element and add to it. I think you're the first person that's ever done that. So let's roll right into it here. How did you become to be known as the queen of questions? Well, um, it, that started when I was just a little kid, too. So <laughs> I have always been a big question asker. I was the annoying kid, right, who, why, 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 with everything that, that there was. And um, I, this lifelong love of questions, I eventually learned how to direct that into places where it was okay to ask a lot of questions. So coming up through high school, I, I chose the field of journalism, and I became uh, a big part of, of the debate and forensics team. And so all of those questions, the investigations and the probing and the cross-examinations were things that were desirable. Went to journalism school, eventually went into sales where I found out that questions had another wonderful application. And then I went into doing some research around questions. And it was at about that time, so now going back around 15 years, when people first started saying, Deb, you ask such good questions, and or, Hmm. Deb, you ask so many questions, and Deb, you really seem passionate about questions, and that word, that title started bubbling up in different places, the queen of questions, and I've heard it in so many places now that I just kind of go along with it. (laughs) I'll take it. Hey, that's a very good philosophy here, Uh, and many of our listeners may be familiar with the five whys technique. It's a question-asking technique that's used to explore the cause and effect relationships that underlie a particular pr- problem. And it was originally innovated in the form that we're most familiar with it at Toyota Motor Corporation. And they would have this process by which if there was a question to be answered or a problem to be solved, they would ask why five times. I can read right off the Wikipedia here, and I can, give, and I can show you the example that's on the Wikipedia. So let's say a vehicle doesn't start. That's the problem. The first why, so you say, why? And they say, the battery is dead. Why is the battery dead? The alternator is not functioning. So here we're up to two whys. Why? Okay, so the, why is the alternator not functioning is the third why. The alternator belt is broken. So now we get to the fourth why. Why is the alternator belt broken? The alternator belt was well beyond its useful service life and not replaced. And so now we get to the fifth why, which is why was the alternator belt not serviced and not replaced? The vehicle was not maintained according to the recommended service schedule. So we could say the vehicle won't start, and we ask why, and they say, oh, battery's dead. Now, that's like treating the flu with cough medicine. You might get the person to stop stop coughing for a couple hours, but it's not going to get rid of the flu. But if you ask why 
five times, then you get to this point where you find out what was really going on, which is the owner of the vehicle wasn't taking it in for scheduled maintenance, and there was a chain reaction that led to the battery dying. And so this is why I think it's great to ask questions. And whenever somebody tells me to stop asking questions, I say, well, then basically this conversation is over because I can't help you. Uh, so that's why well, – that's really why I wanted to bring you here more than anything else, because I want to get into this whole thing about you being the queen of questions. This excites me. Okay, can I just tag on to what you said, because I, I love your example. Yes. That's efficiency. That's actually time-saving. The, the time it takes to ask five whys is significantly less time than it takes to replace the battery and then to have to come back later and fix the alternator and redo and rework over and over again. So. That's a huge time saver, and it's a great example of how questions can open that up. Right, right. Now, you've done over 20 years of research on this whole thing about asking questions. You've written a book. You've created a training program that are all about asking questions. And some folks, not me, obviously, but some folks may say, this may seem like overkill on what seems like a simple subject. So why do you feel that more attention needs to be paid to asking questions? Well, really, it boils down to two reasons. The first reason is that we have all these misperceptions. And the biggest misperception is we don't have to spend any time. We all ask questions. It's as natural as breathing. And that's true in part. Yes, we all ask questions. We know how to do it mechanically. And it is like breathing, right? With breathing, if you modify your technique, let's say you're going to do yoga or relaxation or uh, if you're in childbirth or you want to be a runner or a swimmer or a whole host of other activities, if you pay attention to breathing, that thing that you do naturally, and you modify your technique, you become so much better. Your outcomes are improved. Same with questions. Yes, we do it naturally, but when we focus, when we pay attention to how we ask questions, we can dramatically improve our outcomes and, and what we get from those questions. So that's part one, the misperception, the misunderstanding that we shouldn't have to spend time on it. But here's the other thing. We, even though we can ask questions, sometimes we don't because we're afraid of how people are going to react. And it's a legitimate fear because, in general, most of us are, are doing a very poor job of asking questions we either make people feel like they are sitting up in the witness stand and we're the prosecuting attorney coming at them with questions, or we get sloppy and our questions aren't well thought. We don't think them through, so they come across like some sort of fishing expedition that either sounds like we have an ulterior motive or makes us sound a little silly because we aren't putting together complete thoughts and sequencing our questions in a logical way, and, and people sense that when that's happening. So right. we think we don't need to study it. We dodge it because we think that there's going to be a negative reaction. And if we could just improve it, we can make such a big difference in our in our communications. Right. And you have made the distinction between aimless questions and purposeful questions. So I think a lot of us get the idea of an aimless question versus a purposeful question. But to illustrate what you mean by that, could you give us some examples? Sure. So um, this is for everything. So in casual conversation, um, here's a contrast, right? It's very common. We might say something like, I, I see you as I first walk into your business, I say, hey, Adam, how's it going? Very general question. 
nothing wrong with that question, but I might right. get anything at all in response. If I want to direct the conversation, I'd be better off instead to say something like, um, so hi, Adam, what's the latest with you and, and with your work as an animal rights activist? Right. And I've directed exactly what I'm looking for in business. This is efficient, but it also is really effective in connecting people because it lets you know I know something about you and I took the time to find out or, or remember something that mattered. Right, right. See, I like that a lot because when people say, how's it going, I say good. Because you haven't asked me, to my, in my mind, you haven't really asked me a question. And I'm not going to just dump the entire story of my day on you. Say, how's it going? And say, good. Right, whether it's good or not, you'll say that. And, and yeah. that's why it's a throwaway question. If we can be more narrow and directional and specific and purposeful with our questions, we will always yield better information and better connections. I agree wholeheartedly. Now, how does getting better at asking questions help entrepreneurs, coaches, and marketing professionals and others who we call business creators be more purposeful and attract more clients? Well, it's cause and effect. So uh, you mentioned that research that I've been doing for a long, long time now, and part of that research is shadowing people, salespeople, for example, in field. I also work with coaches. And scripting down the questions that they ask and the results that they get, and then going back, teaching them about questions and having against that baseline uh, a measure of improvement in their results. But part three is, is really the part you're asking about. I also do that research with the buyers or the person who was on the receiving end of the questions. And so the answer to your question about how does it help business creators, I'll answer that by giving you what buyers say. They say they have a much higher degree of trust and rapport with the person who asked them purposeful questions, that they feel like value got created out of thin air because here's somebody who made me think, somebody who took the time and cared enough about me to make something unique come out of that conversation, and that was very high value. They'll say things like, you know, that salesperson, that's, that's the one salesperson I'll take a phone call from because there's such a sense of differentiation. It's not all about the seller. It feels like there's something within that for the buyer. And when you put right. those things together, the result is that sales get advanced. They, questions open sales, questions close sales, and, and they advance the sale all the way through that process more elegantly and, as we said, more efficiently and effectively, too. Right. I agree entirely. I think that you're absolutely right about this. So what are a few examples of questions that you would ask to attract new clients? This is something that's a real hot button for me, so I'm going to share some thoughts too, but I want to hear yours first. Okay. Well, I was just on a coaching call yesterday with somebody who's quite new to selling. And He's eager, he's enthusiastic, he used to be a business owner, and now he's focused 100% on selling. And so we were working, and I was asking him questions to, to get him thinking about some questions. And, and he had three really good ones, and I thought, I, you know, I wrote them down, I thought i got to find a good place to use these. So um, I decided to bring them here. Because they're great examples of, of different kinds of questions that had a, a very positive reaction. And he is using them now to attract new clients. That, that's his intention. So first of all, instead of the how's it going kind of question, he wants to open up from this point forward by saying, 
something like this. He wants to say, Adam, I'd like to talk to you about your business. Tell me, what needle do you want to move this week? And his follow-up that he intends, if it makes sense in the conversation, would be something like this. So, Adam, then, if that's the needle you want to move, tell me so far what's working and what's not working to help you move that needle. And to round it all out, if the conversation makes sense to, to go here, he wants to also know what happens if that needle doesn't move despite your best efforts. And really, if you think about those three questions together, what he's going to have is a story, not his story about his products, services, business, but he's going to have the, the buyer's story. He will know what his potential customers are interested in doing, and he can tie a solution then to helping them reach that thing that's most important to them right now. I love that formula. And for our listeners, if you're listening to this live, remember there is a podcast on iTunes, which will be updated probably within 24 hours. Make sure to go back and listen to that again. This is definitely one of those aha moments, and that's something that I was taking notes on as you said it. Now, what I found in terms of interactions with folks, and this is another topic, and you may have some thoughts on this as well, uh, let's shift for a moment into networking events or places where we're in a situation where uh, there's other people in the room who are also business creators, also entrepreneurs, or also other people in your industry or people you'd like to reach. Uh, anything that involves uh, holding a cocktail glass, basically, I guess would be the way to put it. Now, there's that inevitable question that comes up all the time when people say, so what do you do? And I have a little game I play, which is to see how rarely I have to answer that question, because I hate answering that question. I admittedly do not spend time practicing my elevator speech or my 30-second pitch or anything like that, because I don't want to use it. What I want to do is I want to get the person talking about what are some of their issues, what are some of their challenges, where are some of the places they need help, because I can read off my elevator speech all day long, and it doesn't matter if I don't know how I can help the person. I'd rather just have them tell me what they need, and I make the decision if I can give it to them. I, I'm right with you. I abhor that question. I refuse to ask that question, and there are different questions you can ask. You know what happens what do you do, right? The, the minute somebody hears the answer to that question, they either pounce to try to sell you something or they check out because it just seems too far apart from what they might be able to sell you uh, on doing. So networking events can break down, and, and we've all been there in those moments of conversations when you see the glassy-eyed look because you can just tell what you do isn't interesting to this person, probably because they can't sell you anything. Right. So I, no, I no, like to – oh, yeah, go ahead. No, 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 you go ahead. Uh, <laughs> well, After I like you. <laughs> to do something different at networking events. I, I like to, first of all, mentally remind myself I'm going here with the intention of meeting people and expanding my network. I'm not going to make a sale while I'm here. It's kind of bad manners to, to go in with that focus, and, and you limit yourself. You narrow what you can accomplish in a networking event. Now, have I made sales out of networking events? Absolutely. But I think it happens because the conversation gets there more naturally and people have a, tra a chance to trust me. We get a, a rapport. We've connected before we ever go there. One of my favorite questions, this, this is actually pretty good if you ever have to man a, a booth at an exhibit hall, too. Great question. <laughs> I've been is, there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's hard stuff there. 
Um, yes. What What brings you here? Great question. Why am I here in this room full of people? I might have to think about it. But within that answer, I'm still going to tell you what do I do. I'm probably going to tell you what my uh, purpose is. I'm going to give you some insights about how I feel about this event and the people who are here also. And I'm going to get a whole lot more because I caught you off guard. You don't have your canned elevator pitch prepared for that question. So what brings you here? And if you have a very narrow agenda, I'm here to sell XYZ, that's probably going to come out pretty quickly too. You like that you got that out, but I also know something about you that we don't have to feel like we're being slippery with each other. Oh, yeah, yeah, that whole thing where we have to like, you know, I think you said dance around each other, or <laughs> or try and uh, and try and say, well, why am I here? Why am I here? Why am I in this conversation? Is this somebody I can network with? Is this somebody who is going to offer something that I can buy? Am I going to offer something they can buy? We don't really have to deal with that. It's just again why I don't have an elevator pitch, and I'm kind of immune to the whole idea of feeling I need to have one because I don't ever want to share it. I want the person to just tell me what they need. And another thing to bear in mind, too, is they may speak a different language than you. So if you can ask the right questions, you can get them to start talking about themselves, you can find out the language they speak, and all you have to do is speak their language. Yes. Another way to come alongside somebody and make that connection. Right, right. I think that this is great. Because we have a lot of listeners on the Business Creators Radio Show who either hate the idea of selling or fear being perceived as selling something, which is why sell without selling topics tend to be so popular in our series. And we also have a lot of introverts who listen to us. I myself uh, being very classically introverted, and a lot of other listeners have expressed that to me as well. And it can be very draining mentally and Physically, basically, because if you think about what an introvert really is, it's somebody who expends energy from social interactions rather than gaining energy from social interactions. It's a function of how the energy flows. It doesn't mean they're shy, loners, nervous, scared, or anything like that. It's just a matter of how they spend their energy. So if you have to answer the question, how do you, you know, what do you do, too many times, you're going to get really tired from that. But it's a lot less tiring to just get people to talk about themselves. I can listen all day long. It is, and there's two other things working against people who are introverted. First, networking events typically come at the end of the day, right when you need to get some time alone or in a smaller group to recharge yes. your batteries. Worst timing of all. And the second thing is this whole notion that you somehow have to prove yourself. What do you do? There's, there's this judgment implied within that. So just take all of that out of the equation and have a real conversation. And within a large networking event, if you choose to talk to just one or two people and, and go deeper, that's okay. You, yeah. You don't have to judge or be judged and, and just know that every single person has other connections and there's value within the person you're talking to, no matter who they might be. If you go deep enough, you, you'll find it. Yeah. I was in an event once with one of my clients, and I saw somebody come up to him and say, so what do you do? And he said, I don't answer narratives. Go away. Oh, <laughs> And I thought, whoa, whoa, that was uh, that was harsh. But then I thought about it a little bit more, and maybe he's been asked, what do you do, so many times that he recognizes that anybody that approaches him with what do you do may be a time waster. Maybe that's his view of it. Now, my view is a little bit different, which is they've been programmed, you're supposed to ask, 
what do you do? Maybe they think they're doing exactly what they're supposed to, which is make it about the other person. So I'm just going to turn that around and make it about them because people love talking about themselves. Yes, I, I agree with you. Right. So what's the value? I'd like to shift gears here a little bit. Uh, now let's talk about customer retention and customer loyalty. I know this is largely about getting new clients, but we've spoken about some three you know, gave us three great questions you can ask somebody who you're coaching or who you're prospecting to get them to tell you what they're looking for. We spoke about the power of getting people just tell you what they need. So tell us about what happens after they become the customer. So what is the value of asking the right questions when it comes to retaining clients and building customer loyalty? And if you have any examples, those would be great. Okay. Well, when you connect with people, it's not a one-time thing. This is true for any relationships that we have, buyer-seller, coworker, uh, personal relationships. The connection is step one out of many. And so, yes, we want to be able to deepen those connections and to demonstrate our understanding and our interest in the other person in every conversation when we have a chance to do that. So questions can help us not just at the onset but all the way through the entirety of a relationship and continue to deepen and solidify that relationship. So the value, uh, when it comes to being able to build customer loyalty, first of all, those great make-you-think kinds of questions, what buyers have told me is that that's the one seller I will take a phone call from. That's the one seller I actually enjoy meeting with. That's the one seller I actually want to talk to. So that loyalty, you can imagine, it's off the charts when you have that level of differentiation from everybody else out there. There are, within the, the research, I ended up with eight purposes for asking questions, and that's all there is. I've, I've been looking for a ninth one for a long time. But in any conversation, I have decided there are only eight different reasons that we ever ask anyone a question. And that makes a nifty little acronym, by the way, of DISCOVER, the eight letters standing for different types of questions. But what most of us do, especially when we put ourselves in sales mode, is we actually only ask two or three purposes of questions. We land on the ones that we think are the, the right ones or the ones that are going to be the fastest to get us where we want to go to sell something, and we miss out entirely on these other five kinds of questions that are so high value to the buyer. So if you don't get to those right away, guess what? You have this whole nice long-term relationship to go a lot deeper, to understand the values, to co-create and brainstorm solutions, to be able to gather examples. Those are different question types that I'm giving you. And to continually become more and more of that resource and that go-to person for your buyer. And that's what loyalty is made up of. Yeah, that's very good because we see a lot of uh... – questionnaires that are sent to people who are current customers that basically say, what do you like the most? What do you think we're doing badly? And what do you suggest we do better? Okay, that's uh, marginally helpful. And these are things we need to know, but I'm thinking there may be a better way to ask those questions. You bet. Uh, I'll give you one example because I had forgotten you asked for one. So there's an I question within the Discover acronym that's the issue question. And there are a couple different ways to use it, but proactively, before your customer ever has an issue or a dissatisfaction with you, a great question to ask that really builds loyalty and relationship is an issue question that's proactive in the form of a service check. 
and it would sound something like this. It would be like, um, Adam, we've been doing business together a long time. I just want to do a service check. Tell me, what would you like to see me doing differently as, as we interact with each other? Different kind of question from what you see on a canned survey. Right. And as somebody who buys or works with a seller long term, the opportunity to, to give that information, maybe it's just some little pet peeve or maybe it's something that was causing you to consider going elsewhere to do business, but the fact that you opened up that conversation and gave me permission to go there is huge. Wow. That's scary for a lot of people. You have to be vulnerable, but the buyer reaction makes it so worth it. You're gonna, you might get a little heat for a minute, but then you have a chance. I mean, we'd all rather know what we can fix than wonder for the next several months or years or however long the pain is, is there of losing that customer. So let me open it up so I can find out before that happens. Yeah. Wow. That's pretty intense right there. Uh, I'd like to just kind of leave that hanging because I think that's going to give our listeners plenty to think about right there. We may come back to it time permitting, but there is something else I'd like to get into here. Uh, you, know, you were talking earlier about asking questions on coaching calls and things like that. And I'd like to develop that a little bit further because a lot of times when people offer free strategy sessions or free coaching calls, obviously the goal is to get people to invest in the coaching program or to invest in consulting or to buy a product or to come to an event or whatever the ultimate goal is. And most people go into these free sessions knowing full well they're going to be pitched at some point. So what about in coaching itself? Coaches do tend to ask a lot of questions as part of their work with clients. So this whole thing about the right way to ask questions, what does that have to do with coaching? Well, I, I think that they are one and the same. So coaching, what it really is all about is extracting something from the other person. It's not about telling them. It's not about setting up the sale. Yes, those, those might be opportunities that come later. But real coaching, what it's meant to be is extracting information, promoting some self-discovery, uh, making you think and evaluate, to, to gain some insights, to be able to help you. I'm, I'm a facilitator as a coach. I am helping you to get some things out that you aren't coming to on your own. Right? It's teachers and mentors who, who give the information. Coaches extract what's already there and help to apply it in new ways. You can't do that with anything but questions. Questions are the only way to do true coaching that really helps people get over those barriers or obstacles that they're experiencing. And when you do that, again, your credibility, your level of trust, it opens up the opportunities to be able to do the next things, uh, selling, more coaching, whatever it is you're, you're looking to do. Right, right, right. Now, you've written a book about asking questions, and compared to most books about questions, uh, from what I understand, yours is very unique for a very particular reason, and that's because you don't just prescribe certain questions for certain situations. So why do you avoid that level of specificity? Um, Thank you for asking. Yes, there are lots of books when it comes to, to the field of selling. There are quite a few books about questions. And more often than not, they say, look, if you're in a negotiation, ask question A, B, C. Or there are some models where it says, look, here's the four types of questions. Always ask these questions in this order. Don't deviate, and you'll set up your sale. 
I, I don't do that, and I don't do it for a couple of reasons. The first one is that I think buyers are savvy. I think we're very sophisticated compared to the way that things were even a decade ago, and it, it can be insulting, especially the second time you're trying to sell somebody, to go through a prescribed formulaic approach that makes everything feel robotic. So I, I don't recommend that. I don't think it is appropriate to really connecting with people. The second thing is, you know, this is our customer. It, it, it's somebody that we ought to be having a conversation with. We ought to be forming that connection and getting to know them, giving them a chance to, to know us, uh, being authentic, collaborating so we can come to a solution that nobody else is going to come up with for them. Um, and if I have curiosity and if I'm nimble and I stay in the moment and I follow the natural course of a conversation as opposed to letting some pre-scripted questions make it feel more like a, a census or a survey, I'm always going to do better. I, Adam, you, you can't script real life. I wish that you could, and I have tried. I, I spent several years in vain trying to create the perfect set of questions, and I realized that that was taking people off course instead of really helping them to have these connections that were so essential to long-term self-success. So I recommend against it. I, I do have eight purposes for asking questions, but they don't come in a certain order. I'm not going to give you the words behind the questions. I'll certainly give you examples, but the idea here is to know your own purpose. Why am I about to ask a question? When you know which one of those eight purposes it is and you've got some training and some work that you've done on how to craft really effective questions, and then you stay within the conversation, in the moment, you know, that's where the magic happens. That's where people connect. Right. So give us some insights from your research with buyers. You've done so much research on this. I think more than anybody has ever researched the principle of asking questions. What do people say about the buying experience and about the people they're buying from when questions are better crafted and more purposeful? They say so many positive things. Now, I will right. say there are eight kinds of questions. There's one that they that buyers don't like very much. It's the D in, in Discover. That stands for data questions. So they understand, buyers understand that sometimes you have to ask for those, those bits of data, the facts. But they also know that you could go and find that information somewhere else and that it's not very stimulating to give you the canned answers that every salesperson is looking for. Um, so we've got to sprinkle those in and, and use them a little more judiciously. But the other seven types of questions, we've actually just done a, a, a word cloud capturing the words that we hear most frequently from buyers in our research. And the words are trust, which we've talked about some already, appreciation, made me think, helpful, different, engaging, smart, they, they think sellers who ask good questions are smart, yes, <laughs> so we can fool everybody. Um, and uh, those words, uh, th those positive aspects to those words are what take you out of being the snake oil salesman and put you into the seat as the trusted resource, the advisor that's going to bring them back to you over and over again. Right, 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 right. So it's interesting that you mentioned trust, because it seems like we question people we don't trust. Now, how do you reconcile those two things? Great question. 
Um, and it goes back to what we said earlier about all those misperceptions, all the ways that questions get misused. It's one of the fears we have, one of the reasons that we don't ask people questions. We think they might be sensitive or defensive in response to our questions. And that's legit because so many sellers have asked questions that are sort of intentionally manipulative. They're, they're like trying to ask the questions to back somebody up into a corner. And it's those kinds of questions that cause buyers to mistrust sellers. In our personal relationships where we get defensive around questions, it's because we think someone is questioning us personally. That the tone of the question, the intention of the question, seems like there's a, a hidden agenda, an ulterior motive behind it. So we have to be more thoughtful, purposeful, about how we ask questions and also about how we set up the questions. You don't just talk to a new buyer and launch into a litany of questions because nobody goes for that. that that's just weird. That's not normal. So right. if you're to ask somebody questions, you, you set it up. You explain your intention. I, I might say, hey, Adam, I, I really want to learn about your business, and I, I want to learn more about this work that you're doing to help business creators. Could I ask you a few questions? I'm curious. I want to be sure I can help you out, and it will really give me a lot of clarity if I could just ask you a few questions first. I get your permission. And with your permission, you know my intention, and I need to live up to my intention. I can't suddenly, without a new cue to you, shift into sales mode as if I had a gotcha. Um, I need my right. tone to convey what my intention is, and I need to keep it conversational with you, absolutely a, a part of that. Uh, so that's why scripting questions also doesn't quite work. If I'm authentic with my intention, i got to be authentic with it being a you and I conversation too. Right, right. I think all these things are, are pretty important. So uh, we have a little bit of time here, and there's a couple things that uh, have come up for me as I've listened to everything that you've shared with us today. And again, this is fantastic information. Uh, the first thing that I want to get your insights on, if you have any, and if, and if I, if there's something here that I ask that you know, you're just not sure about, that's perfectly okay, although I think I'm right up your alley here. The first is, let's say that you are going through a process with somebody where you're asking questions because you need information in order to serve them more effectively. Let's say they're your client. Let's say they're your boss. Let's say they're your life partner. I mean, anywhere where you need to have information so you can get them what they need and what they want. And when you ask these questions that are critical to you being able to deliver, they say, that doesn't concern you. Yes. I think intention comes through. So, you know, when you go into the doctor's office and it's the first time you've visited a particular doctor, they give you that clipboard and it has that really long questionnaire. Yes. And you fill it out. You have no problem filling that out. In fact, you'll go look up information if you've got to get some previous doctor's address or phone number, your insurance card. You'll take a look at that. You'll spend time answering the questions on that form. Right. The reason you do that is because you know it is going to prevent there from being something done to you that shouldn't be done to you right. and that it will help you. All we have to do is make sure people understand our intention is positive in the same way. So if I've got these questions, things I need to know, I might anticipate which ones somebody doesn't want to answer, and I would think through why they might not like to answer that question, 
and just make sure that I have the appropriate intention on the table and the appropriate trust built up. Part of that comes from not only what you signal in your intention, part of it also comes from some common sense things. Um, here's a classic example. Oftentimes we need to know the budget of our prospect, the person that we want to sell something to, because we have oh, yeah. a wide array of choices. Okay, but what's your budget is an offensive question if it's asked at the wrong time. It's a perfectly okay question if we've got some other stuff built up first. And I have demonstrated that I know about you, I know about your business, I know about your goals. I know what matters to you. I've demonstrated that I'm trustworthy because I'm listening to you and I'm engaged with you. And later on in the conversation, as I say, this is great information. You've really been helping me to understand your business. I do think I have some solutions that could make sense for you. I think I could help you with this and this. I have a few more questions just to make sure that I stay on target and don't take you in a wrong direction. So I've done what the doctor does. I've reminded the other person about my intention. And as you said, personal relationship or anything else, I just give that little reminder. And then I say, one thing that's helpful to know is your budget, because I don't want to give you something that doesn't make sense for you. And it's a much softer question, less threatening than as question number two before you even know me. Right. Right. And I talk I, about efficiency, because that right. sounds really inefficient to wait, but... Think about it. If you don't know the budget ever and you have to go back to the table three or four times to create your proposal or you lose ground because you, you just were so far out of the, the ballpark, that's inefficient. Let me build up the rapport and trust that I can leverage in so many ways and then get to the budget question and make the sale. That's effective and efficient. Yeah, it seemed, yeah because I know when people ask me what's my budget – Immediately, I start thinking about, well, okay, so what's my cash flow look like? Uh, uh, how much of this debt do I want to pay down? Uh, I was thinking about investing in this other thing. Am I going to be able to do that and this at the same time? Uh, what's my travel budget look like? It immediately puts me in a place where, let's just put it this way, it ain't going to take me long for me to find a reason to say no. No. And budget alone, here's the other downside of that, um, budget alone is never going to be a favorable answer for the person trying to sell something. Right. And it doesn't feel good to the buyer. What we have to know first is value. What's important to you? What do you want to accomplish? Then the, the budget becomes attached to what's it worth to you to do this thing that you want to do to accomplish this whatever you've just told me about. Shall I tell you a story? It's a little embarrassing, but no, it's a classic okay. example of this. Okay. We're all friends here. <laughs> All right, so several years back, my husband and I, we, we moved to California. We bought a house that was a total fixer-upper. And we got to the point where we were doing a, a huge remodeling project. And I walked into one of those really, really high-end stores that sells all kinds of beautiful bath fixtures and, and kitchen fixtures and whatnot. And I only went in there because I thought I'd get some great ideas and then I could go see what I could replicate it at Home Depot. Well, I met the best salesperson to this day who I think I've ever met. His name is Nick. He actually once furnished the palace, the Buckingham Palace, and he has quite a reputation of, of being uh, an incredible designer as well as an incredible seller. So Nick, in his wonderful thick English accent, began talking to me as I was in the store. 
He didn't try to sell me. There was no pressure. He was just asking about me and about my life and really engaging. And before it was said and done, and as I was looking around the store, I told him a few things, including that the balance of power had shifted in my household. It used to be my two daughters, me, and my husband. And now it was the two daughters growing up, moving out, and it was my husband, my son, and me. And what that really meant is that toilet seats were no longer ever left in the down position. (laughs) I'm an early riser. It's cold in California in the mornings. This is a bad thing at 5 a.m. when I wake up. Let me just let me just let you use your imagination there, but um, uh, it's not comfortable. I, I don't have to imagine. I get the. I get it. <laughs> yeah. So um, Nick showed me something that I had no idea existed. I had no intention of buying. I had no budget at all for in this time when I was really budget conscious about the whole remodeling project, and I had to have it. And I do have it, and it's this really interesting toilet where the seats automatically go down and you can set a warmer, so right before it's time for me to to go, and not only is the seat down, but it's warmed up just a little bit for my 5 a.m. early mornings. And I love it, and it's ridiculous to have that. I, I know it's ridiculous, but he let me talk myself into it because he asked questions that did not include what's your budget. He position the value of something that I didn't even know I wanted so high in my mind that it frankly didn't matter what that cost. I had to have it. Exactly, exactly. And I think that this is something that we really need to understand about the correlation between asking questions and relationship building. So we have about 10 minutes left here, and I'm going to give you a couple minutes at the end to share with us some resources or some information, but there is one more question that comes to mind. Uh, let's say, and I'm, this almost sounds like a cliche, but here uh, we're going to kind of flip things around a little bit. We're going to think about a situation that a lot of people find themselves in, which they dread even when it's not immediately on the horizon, which is a go to events where they find themselves in situations where it could be family members, it could be friends, who have absolutely no clue what they do, are not going to make any serious intention of understanding it, uh, but they're just going to keep asking question after question after question after question when you'd rather not even discuss it. Yeah, um, I think that's a great question because if you are to be a good question asker, you ought to be a good question answerer too. Right. Which doesn't mean that you're at the mercy of every bad question out there. You know, here's a technique. Somebody's drilling you and it feels uncomfortable in any situation. I think it's really effective to pause, to look someone squarely in the eye and to say, what are you really looking for? You make them think about the purpose of their question. Not in a, I don't mean in a, in a way that is abrupt or that, that seems um, confrontational at all. This is about tone again. But the curiosity, I have a right to, to ask you that and to, and to force you to stop going on this fishing expedition. What do you really want to know? And when you ask that question nine times out of ten, people are going to sort of mentally back up. They're going to say, oh, yeah, I am asking you a lot of questions. Sorry about that. I'm, I'm just curious. We, I haven't seen you in a long time. I just I kind of want to know about you. And right. And they'll be more deliberate in the next question that they ask or in the way that the conversation goes. You already talked about the other technique. You flip it. 
they're asking you a lot of questions, you turn it around. You give an answer that's fairly short, and then you say, now, I'm curious, tell me the very same thing about you. And that will usually also in, give you an indicator of where they're really going. I, this is going to sound so um, generalized, but it's, it's often true. The questions in our personal lives that people ask us, oftentimes they're setups for what they want to tell us. So if that's the case and you're not comfortable answering, you can be pretty sure that the other person wants to answer the very same question. Aha. Uh -huh. Setups for what they want to tell us. Uh I have another reason for asking this question. Uh, there are people who have certain lifestyle choices that lead to a lot of, shall we say, curiosity. And curiosity in the form of people just can't possibly believe they would do that. Like if they have certain types of religious beliefs would be one example. They start questioning this faith that they themselves just don't understand. Um, or, say, dietary lifestyle choices, which is something that, like, vegetarians – uh, vegans, pescatarians, people who uh, adopt a dietary lifestyle that is different from what we see on TV and what's advertised in commercials, they start asking a lot of questions about it. Being a vegan myself, I get all these questions like, well, does that mean you just don't eat hamburgers? Do you still like fish? Uh, uh, how do you live without cheese? Uh, you, you mean you, you don't drink milk? I mean, questions like that. And you said something to me that really made me think, which is, where are they really going with this? Um, is it that they're getting ready to try and tell me something? Possibly. I bet you encounter that quite a bit. A lot. So, <laughs> as, do yeah. a lot of, as do a lot of other folks like me who are like-minded. So this is actually a conversation among ourselves that comes up very frequently. It's like, oh, here we go with those carnists again, asking where they get our protein. Yes. So I think <laughs> let's, if we started here, because we, we want to be very generous about this, Let's start with giving people the benefit of the doubt that maybe they are really curious or really concerned about you or have some other good intention and that it's not a judging kind of a question. Right. So if we start there, then it changes the way that we might answer the question. I might say something, if being questioned about a personal belief, I might say something like this. You're, you've just opened up one of my very favorite subjects. Do you... I could get up on a pedestal and talk about this all day. Are you really open? Do you really want me to tell you all about it? And force them to, to make it okay. You're about to give them everything, and you can be in the position, rather than putting them in the one where they have to ask you four or five questions, if you want to, you can put them in the position of having to be open to, to what you're about to tell them. If right. they're not open, right, remember people use lots of body language and, and word choices that signal where they're really coming from, you will hear pretty quickly. If they have an opposing view, they'll say something like, well, no, I just don't think that that makes any kind of sense. And then you know right off the bat, you kind of called their bluff, that it's not an interest, that it's something else. Right, and that and that's what happens a lot of times is, uh, and it doesn't have to do with just dietary lifestyle, just anything where you have a belief that may be different from the other person's belief, and they're really asking you the questions because they're leading up to the gotcha where they tell you how wrong you are and try and save you. Yes, been there. Um, and yeah. so, you know, I, I, I do think that I use questions a lot. So I think it's also perfectly fair in that situation to say something like, do you really think you're going to change my mind right now? You, know, you can, again, with the tone, 
you can sort of diffuse the situation and put it back on the responsibility back on the other person and, and help them to keep it in a generous uh, place of interest. Absolutely, and I think that right there is extremely powerful, and I also think that's a great place for us to leave off because it's going to give our listeners something to think about. So in the last uh, three minutes we have here, first of all, Deb Calvert, the question, or the queen of questions, thank you so much for being with us today, and uh, I'm going to open the floor up to you for just two minutes and just tell our listeners uh, what they can do if they're ready to take a step forward. I imagine some people have been sitting on the edge of their seat. They want to learn more about this. It may have opened up some new perspectives, some new directions for them. So how can they connect with you, and what do you have to offer? Well, thank you. And, and let me just say that first. Thank you, Adam. I really had a good time. I can't believe how fast this time has flown by. Oh, I know. I enjoyed talking with you so much. Well, my book, uh, the first book that's out is Discover Questions, Get You Connected, for professional sellers. Discover Questions, Get You Connected is the title of the series. The later books will be for other audiences, but the one that's called For Professional Sellers is for anybody who wants to sell a product, an idea, um, an agenda uh, in your relationships mm-hmm. of any kind. Business owners, uh, if the book's been out for about a year, I've had tremendous feedback from entrepreneurs and small business owners who found value in being more purposeful with their questions. So Discover Questions, Get You Connected. It's available on Amazon, uh, both in hard copy and as an e-book. And I'd love it if we could get connected up on social media, too, because I want to learn from everybody who's listening and and be able to connect with everybody uh, out there, too. So social media, my handle on Twitter is at PeopleFirstPS. People First PS, the PS stands for Productivity Solutions. The first two words are spelled out. That's also my website, peoplefirstps.com. And I would really enjoy hearing some feedback. Um, Anybody who wants to to contact me, just let me know that you heard about me or or, uh, connected with me initially here on Business Creators Radio. I'll send you a free chapter of the book or, you know, whatever you want to know about, just let me know. Um, What we're doing here is serving business creators with training and content that improves the human-to-human connection. So if you have any questions, you're looking for a workshop or some one-on-one coaching about that connectivity that you can have in order to serve your business, that's what we're all about. Awesome. Deborah, thank you so much again. Uh, This is Deb Calvert, the queen of questions. This has been a fantastic fantastic interview and i have taken so many notes on this myself i think you've even changed some of my views on some of this a little bit and really given me the answers to some questions i've been trying to figure out for a long time good i like it when it works absolutely all right so for everybody listening my name is adam homie i'm host of the business creators radio show please check out our recent and our upcoming episodes at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. We're also on iTunes. Just do a search for Business Creators Radio Show, where we help business creators like you win at the game of business and marketing. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.